I think most people relate to music, at least on some level, but for many of us riders, music really adds to the ride. So today we're going to have a little chat about motorcycles and music with a rider from a band that's on my playlist, The Sheepdogs. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manikin, Simon There's a huge adventure motorcycle event happening this year called the Get On ADV Fest, brought to you by Revzilla. It takes place in the Black Hills of South Dakota this July 15 to 18. Get your tickets at revzilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Revzilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. Cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. If you think about the last good movie that you watch, did you notice that during the movie they're playing background music? You know, if it's a thriller, there's an ominous scene and then that music comes into the background. Or maybe it was a fun movie, there's a happy celebratory scene and and then you get a music background for that. The reason that music's used so much in movies is to set the mood, to make us feel how the producer wants us to feel for that scene. And it's predictable. That's the, the bizarre thing about it. We're, we kind of act like Pavlov's dog, except maybe Pavlov's dog with more variations. Instead of just you know salivating when the bell rings, we come up with all different feelings depending on the music. For most of the human population, music shapes emotions. So if you're listening to music while you ride, your playlist for a large part, sets how you feel as you ride. And I'm sure you've already experienced this. Fast-paced music um, makes you feel like moving fast. Great for carving corners. I don't know, riding on the highway. Um, I love riding rough trails at a moderate pace with some fast-paced music. Um, that, that is just great for me. Now, it's not for everyone, obviously. Some riders won't or can't listen to music while they ride. That's fine. Um, maybe your playlist, is, if, if you're one of those riders, is for relaxing at home. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, of course, I would never encourage anyone to ride with music if they're not 100% comfortable with it. But if you are, you know what I'm talking about. So what's on your playlist? Like many riders, um, for mine, I've got a variety of music, some fast, some slow, some mainstream, some more obscure, but some have some rhythms to it that just, oh man, when they come on, they just make you feel fantastic. 
like the sheepdogs. The Sheepdogs are from Saskatchewan, Canada. Of course, now they're known around the world. They play rock music in sort of a slightly different way than others. Searching for something in these same old streets But thought I'm leaving never tastes so sweet Tonight I'm going downtown with all its fools I got the feeling that I just can't lose so who better to chat with about riding music and motorcycles than a person that not only makes music, but rides motorcycles as well. Ryan Gullen is the bass player and backing singer from the Sheepdogs. And when he's not on a stage rocking a crowd, he's quietly riding a motorcycle, listening to his playlist. Hey, I'm Ryan Gullen. I play bass in a band called the Sheepdogs and I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Ryan, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. So this is this is interesting. You you play in a band called the Sheepdogs, which I, I already know, by the way. <laughs> how do you how do you end up like I mean, because it's always interesting to understand how people, <laughs> you know, make their living and how they get to be doing what they do. How do you get to be in a band? Well, it's uh you know, I think every band has a unique story. It's interesting growing up in a place like Saskatchewan when we were 19 you know, you, you kind of have like these dreams of, of going elsewhere. And sometimes, you know, depending on where you're living, it might feel like you're very far from all those places. And, you know, when you're 19, you're at that, that, that space where you're sort of half a foot in high school and half a foot in whatever the future is going to be. And uh, myself, Ewan, and, and another friend, Sam, who were just friends at the time, decided to start a band. <laughs> it's as simple as that. We wanted to do something different. I mean, it, it never, like where we're at now, you know, some... 17 years later is a, you know, a quite the journey, but it literally just started as uh, three friends wanted to do something different. So we decided to try figuring out what being in a band was all about and sort of steps along the way, figured it out, I guess. <laughs> but the thing is though, I mean, to start a band, I mean, it's, I mean, I hate to say, but it's almost cliched, right? I mean, to, to say, you know, a bunch of guys got together and started a band because there's all kinds of people who do that. Nobody ever makes it anywhere. Nobody ever <laughs> stays at it 17 years later and, and is actually doing it for a profession, you know, like, so when you started back then, was that the plan? You know, I'm going to become a, a rock star sort of thing. No, not at all. I mean, we were terrible and we knew we were terrible. I mean, I think there's, <laughs> there's a certain level, like anyone at any level uh, of music, if you're like putting yourself out there, I mean, if you're get putting yourself on stage and, you know, being sort of like, you have to have a certain confidence, but no, I mean, we, it, it had no idea. I mean, at a certain point, I'm sure we we're like, oh man, we're going to, we're going to be famous or whatever. But it really, it started out as very innocently, like just wanting to do something different. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into eventually having success. And a lot of that comes from making a lot of mistakes and then learning from those mistakes and, and really being focused. But I mean, from the get go, we were really into what we were doing. Like we knew almost instantly, like, wow, like there's something special here. Uh, and then, so yeah, from there, like I said, there's, there's many steps along the way, it, you know, goes from learning to play your instrument better and playing together to writing songs together, to recording those songs, to figuring out how you convince bars in your city to let you play. And then bars in other cities let you play and, you know, many steps along the way and just kind of perseverance. But yeah, it's, it, it didn't happen overnight. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so passion and the ability to hang in there through enough mistakes, to, to finally get somewhere. And obviously there's, there's the magic as well, obviously with the music. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, that, I mean, they say that's the key. It's like, you have to have those, you know, like whatever the 10,000 hours, but you have to have that experience. It's sort of like a combination of experience and being in the right place that, you know, gives you the opportunity to have that experience. In our case, it was just like, you know, we were really passionate about what we did. And so, and again, you know, probably, a. I don't know, you know, an overconfidence in a sense, you have to have a lot of confidence, be willing to randomly call, call a bar in Sudbury and be like, Hey, you should book us at your, at your venue or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, that, you know, it's a lot of that and a lot of putting yourself out there, but yeah. Uh, over time we, we basically were able to learn from certain mistakes and turn that into successes. I know I, I read that you, you guys really slogged it out for a while and things were tough. I know I was reading, I think it was in Rolling Stone. It was talking about being in debt with the band and, and really feeling like you, you weren't getting anywhere with it. And then you, you persevered. You, you, you stayed at it because you came across uh, this um, battle of the bands thing. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, at that point, this is, you know, back in the end of 2010, we, we'd been a band for seven years. We've been touring across the country. I mean, we would basically, you know, we would travel out from Saskatchewan to Ontario and play in Toronto and in and around Toronto and then travel back and then go out to Vancouver. And we kind of do that and basically load up a, a line of credit and we come back to our hometown and basically throw parties to try to, you know, regen, like, you know, rent a hall and have our own concert to try to like build that bank account back up so we could go back out. Um, but yeah, in 2010, um, we met a guy named Joel Carrier, uh, who's a, a music manager in Toronto, uh, kind of in, you know, again, right place, right time, happenstance type situation. We met him, uh, at a barbecue and ended up staying at sleeping at his office. Cause we didn't have a place to sleep that night in Toronto. And as a thank you, I left him a copy of our record, um, not really knowing, but he's quite a, a large successful music manager in, in the world in Canada, but in the world as well. And, and yeah, so Joel had really liked our record and sent it to Atlantic records as well as um, someone he knew at Rolling Stone. And they were like, well, you know, we're doing this competition where we're trying to find, you know, 15, I think it was 15 or 10 or 15 best unsigned bands in North America. And so I just got a call one day. It was like, Hey, um, I'm not sure if you have anything going on, but you know, there's this thing that you might be interested in being part of. And so that snowballed into us being in a competition where, you know, we were competing to be the first unsigned band on Rolling Stone as uh, cover, which is you know, obviously very different than sleeping on the floor of somebody's office because you can't afford a hotel room to, you know, being flown to New York City to compete, you know, in a bit of a, you know, like American gladiators type, <laughs> a music gauntlet of sorts where, you know, we were like playing songs for judges, you know, sort of a Canadian Idol or American Idol style, but also like, you know, doing these different competitions and stuff. And so it started, I think at 16 or 15 and whittled down to 10 and then down to five. And, you know, eventually we were in the top two and it was a really big thing. It was a big deal. We we're the only Canadian band. And so, uh, Canada really got behind us. There was voting involved in Canada, like, you know, everything from, you know, the prime minister and, and our, uh, our premier in Saskatchewan and, and people in the media, like everyone really got behind us and really was promoting to vote for us. So, uh, you know, long story <laughs> short, we, we won and we were the first unsigned band to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, which, you know, is a, a pretty wild thing to happen to a band, any band at any point, but let alone a band that's kind of been slogging it out all these years. Uh, yeah. And so that was a huge launching point for our career. I mean, that went from us not being able to make a living to, you know, starting to get 
offers to play festivals and, and go on tours, uh, and, uh, you know, sell tickets. And, you know, we went from wondering if we're going to have a thousand, you know, a thousand copies of our most recent record, uh, in our basement forever to scrambling to press more because we you know we sold a hundred thousand of them or whatever. Like it was, it was a huge, huge, huge change in that. It really put us in the spotlight, but you know, again, like it, like, you know, that's a really big change uh, for us, but it was something we were working towards. And so we'd spent all the time making mistakes that, you know, once we got put in this opportunity, really took advantage of it. And I think that sort of helped us in the, in the long run in that competition. I know that um, some of the places you you, you played, obviously, as a, as a band starting out, was, would be really small. But I've read about a yurt and even a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we played a yurt that was in uh, that was at a festival called Evolve. It's in Nova Scotia. The tree was uh, we were there's a music conference in Toronto called Canadian Music Week, and we got asked. Actually, no, I think it was North by Northeast. It was a music conference either way. And uh, we had to do this like session. So we climbed a tree and played in a tree. <laughs> you know, we we played on boats, you know, in, in France. There's a, a venue that's on a, uh, an old warship. And we oh, played there and we played... Uh, yeah, we've played all sorts of places. <laughs> so is that something you just do when you're, when you're coming up? Like now that you've sort of made the big league, will you still play in a tree? Hey, we're, I got nothing against playing a tree. Why, why not? Of course I would. No, you know, I, we, we, we came from a place where we, you know, try to get as many gigs as we could. I mean, we're definitely could be a little bit more choosy, but I think what makes what we do fun and how we do things is, you know, we try to do things at our own way. And if that means that someone's wants us to play in a tree, cause it'd be cool. I mean, especially with COVID, it sounds like a, a great place to play right now. Yeah, <laughs> I take a tree <laughs> anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we played, we played on the rooftop of a hotel in Regina with a whole wall of people on balconies as a distance show last summer. And that, you know, wow. that was a great example, like just cool way to kind of like figure out pivot and, uh, and do our own thing. How do you get paid for that though? <laughs> yeah, they lower it down in a basket for us. You know, <laughs> you know no, it was they they ticketed each uh, each hotel room, so each hotel room was sort of like your private box, which allowed people to not interact with other people, but it being a communal atmosphere. It was it was like oh. a thousand people on. You could imagine like a eighteen story hotel with people on every single balcony. It was quite the sight. Wow, that's really cool. I was kidding <laughs> yeah. when I said I didn't actually think it was a money making venue because there's so many things going on with bands just doing free stuff because it's I mean. How how can you make money? You can't get people to venues. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not the, not, not the greatest time to be a, you know, when your job is to try to convince people to cram into a room, but yeah, people have been creative. And I think there's like where some places might not have monetary value. There's still value in, in some of those things. So yeah, I mean, we, we've, you know, do done online things, but we've also done, uh, you know, done drive-in shows and, and stuff like that. And like the hotel show. For, for those who don't know what, what style of music is that you play? It's, it's rock and roll music. I mean, we kind of say it's good time rock and roll, but it's, uh, it's definitely like vintage inspired rock and roll. We're, we're fans of, uh, you know, of, you know, the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Kinks and Credence and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're not necessarily trying to be exactly like one of those, but we love, you know, five guys playing electric guitars and singing in harmony and that kind of stuff. Why, why rock though? I mean, it seems like you're, you're kind of out of your era. <laughs> if you don't want me saying so, like, I mean, well, if you want to go ahead, I was gonna say, we get, we get deep on that. I, I have a, I've obviously thought about that a lot, but I mean, it's really the, to me, it's the music that speaks to us. I mean, 
we, we grew up in a really interesting era. I mean, I was in high school when Napster came about and I know that sort of was the predecessor to what sort of made the music industry a lot more or less profitable than it would have been, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, what that allowed us to do, I mean, we're, we're from Saskatchewan, we're from Saskatoon. The only way you would find music would be like your friend's older brother, or like the guy at the, you know, at HMV or whatever. And because of that, uh, with the advent of, of Napster in high school, you and I, who were both in the band, were friends in high school. It became a whole thing. We were kind of like the, the first people to be able to go down that rabbit hole like people do on YouTube or Spotify now and discover music that we normally, you know, maybe that, you know, because it used to be that you'd try to hear it on the radio or somebody would, you know, pass, check out this album or whatever. And so because of that, we were able to discover all this rock music that existed, you know, before our time. And it really spoke to us. So oh, wow. when it comes to making our own music, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting thing that would, you know, it's not just hearing, uh, you know, the, you know, you'd, you'd discover, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to check out what Credence is all about. But then, you know, you start digging deeper or, or Zeppelin and then you start digging deeper and maybe you learn about Black Sabbath. And then maybe you learn about like, you know, a band like Leafhound or something where it's like you're, you're discovering, you know, and that, that's obviously become way easier now. And I think as a result, you'll see so much more, there's more room for diversity within music. So for us, it's always been about like, this is the music we like. So it's the music we're going to make. You know, that's always been our, our sort of like mantra. It was like, make music we like and hope other people like it. And, you know, thankfully people have so far for the most part. But yeah, like you said, it's not like rock music is in the forefront, but I think there's always been a place. Rock music's never gone away. There's, there's always been a place for it. You sort of see it come in waves. And I think that, um, you know, you saw like, obviously the seventies was big for rock, but then, you know, as the eighties, you know, and into the eighties, but as the eighties kind of end of the eighties came, you sort of saw rock music come a little bit out of favor, but then kind of come back and grunge. And then, you know, in the early two thousands, there's another wave. So I think it like, it always is there. It's just not necessarily in the forefront of like popular culture. The one thing that jumped out at me when you were talking there was when you're saying about your influence and how you found rock music is that it's timing. I mean, if you were, mm-hmm let's say a little older than what you are, you may have missed the boat on that because you wouldn't have had Napster to go and look at, Mm -hmm. to find the rock music. Maybe you would have went with different influences. I I guess I'm trying to think of what your parents would have been or what your, what your older friends, et cetera, would have been listening. I don't know, what, 80s music, (laughs) big hair stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's funny, actually. I I recently kind of like got a bunch of my dad's records that I found out. I didn't know he's passed away now, but I didn't know he was. He's the entire Boz Skaggs discography, which I thought was so bizarre. He's never talked about Boz Skaggs before. So it's funny that he has like, I have all these records, Boz Skaggs. But yeah, I mean, our parents listen to that kind of music. I, I think that, you know, all of our parents would be around the age that sort of like, you know, the 70s and 80s. They, they liked, you know, they played us those things, but we really fell in love with it by sort of being able to dive uh, deep and sort of explore that. We've been very fortunate that, you know, we've been able to have a career as a rock band and have success at radio. I mean, we spent years having people tell us because we didn't sound like, you know, Nickelback or whatever, like whatever was popular on the radio. We'd never be able to be at the radio. I mean, now, you know, 10 years later, we've had multiple number one songs and, you know, many, you know, top 10 songs at radio. And, and, you know, there is a place for that. And it seems like we've been, or we've been fortunate that we've had that. One quote you, you gave, you, you said, uh, I think you were interviewed in 2013, uh, the province, I think, which is, uh, is out of British Columbia. You said, we're not Southern rock, maybe Southern Saskatchewan rock. We're into <laughs> music that you can listen to when you're driving down the highway on your motorcycle. 
<laughs> as long as you have good headphones, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe some, yeah, earbuds, something. It depends on what yeah. you're into, but absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that resonates with me. And, and of course, it's because you're into riding. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I mean, I think the thing about the thing that I love about the type of music we do, our music in general is it, music allows you to create your own soundtrack to whatever you're doing. And I think that's, what's really fun. Um, you know, uh, now that music is so incredibly mobile, I mean, you have an unlimited library of soundtrack to, to put to your life. And, you know, to me, uh, in the same way, when it comes to writing or something like that, like I love, I love music that makes me, you know, I can really zone out and, and, and enjoy enjoy that. And I feel like our, our music lends itself to that or, you know, barbecuing or whatever. I, I think it's like, it's a, it definitely is one of those things we don't set out to necessarily like soundtrack those things, but we, in the back of our mind, these are things we, you know, like to do. So the idea that it could go along with that's even better. Mm-hmm. So where does motorcycles come into your life? Is it something you've been doing since you were a kid? Not necessarily. I mean, I guess I got into it in my early twenties. Um, you know, aside from being on the farm and, and ripping dirt bikes and stuff like that, I mean, I got really in my early twenties, I just was always really attracted to it and and really wanted to get into it. And so, um, you know, got my learner's motorcycle license and, and bought a bike and, and just sort of like started, uh, started riding and it sort of spiraled out from there. Uh, you know, the nice thing about living in a place like Saskatoon was that you could kind of be out of the city in five minutes, no matter where you are in the city. So, you know, sort of learning to ride on those sort of like vast, uh, empty roads, side roads, uh, Saskatchewan has just kind of like with that go on forever. It was kind of a great thing, especially in a place where it's awful in the winter. So uh, <laughs> the minute you could be outside, having a reason to be out and doing that is, is pretty amazing. Well, the thing is with Saskatchewan, you can ride away from the city in, in five minutes, but you can see the city for two hours. <laughs> as long as you're driving away, you don't even notice it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Right. And, uh, and there's so many places, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the same as other places where you have like twists and turns and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But, you know, th- there is something that I have a special place in my heart for, you know, the sights and smells of Saskatchewan and Saskatchewan summer. And, you know, and that, you know, getting out, out where there's nothing around you for so long and you might not even see a car and you're taking in the the smells of crops and and the sounds of you know bugs and and things like that. Like it's something that's harder to find in other places, and it's very easy to find. So you almost take it you know almost take it for granted in Saskatchewan. You're into um, restoring bikes. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, very loosely. I I would say I'm. I definitely like old bikes. I don't own any uh, any new bikes. Um, my sort of Pride and Joy is a 1950 Harley uh, panhead that I rebuilt with a friend of mine, Brian Jessup from Saskatoon, who's a, a builder there. And I, uh, I had a bunch of time off uh, touring one year and I really, I've always really wanted to do something. I mean, being a fan of the seventies and loving, you know, things like Easy Rider and stuff like that. I, I've always had an affinity towards, you know, old Harley, you know, choppers. And it was always something I really wanted to do and just happened to meet somebody when I had a decent amount of time, um, off, off the road. And, and so me and him being mostly him, him helping me, um, you know, rebuilt and restored and custom built a bike to, you know, fabricating parts and finding parts and, and going to swap meets and, and, you know, 
scouring the internet and finding different things. And yeah, sort of built a, a bit of a period piece, but also a custom, um, you know, motorcycle that's a uh, built around, uh, it's a, a 1947, uh, frame Harley frame that's been modified. And then a 1950, uh, panhead, uh, motor in it. It's amazing that this stuff is still around. I mean, I find it just incredible. I keep hearing of people who are, you know, find a, an old bike and build it up again. Where do you find it? Well, he was able to find it. It was somebody that knew somebody. I mean, it's funny with these things. Like you always, I'm obviously really into lots of vintage stuff and you know, you figure it all run out, but I mean, stuff's around. I mean, it's there. I mean, the, the, the motor that came from Edmonton. So I think there was two different people, uh, that has, you know, somebody in Edmonton found both those, both the frame and the, the motor, you know, there are people that still make, uh, newer parts, um, you know, like oil bag and, and things like that. And yeah, just kind of like, there's a network of people. So it was a pretty, it's a pretty neat thing. I mean, Saskatoon has a really great scene for it. There's a small group of people that, you know, they all work regular jobs and kind of all help out. So like, you know, I had a friend who helped us with, you know, paint and I did like a lot of the body work. I customized the tank, for example. And then, you know, I had a friend that helped me do the, do the finishing on the Bondo after I sort of like started it. I had, you know, other, other friends that, you know, helped with, different things along the way. Uh, you know, somebody from Seattle or, uh, sorry, um, Portland, um, helped build the seat and, uh, you know, it's all, all different custom things. and just kind of friends. It's like a community of people kind of helping out. Um, and I, I by no means would consider myself a, a very good motorcycle mechanic, but you know, you kind of get, you know, hang out in a garage and drink beers and learn things and learn different things about it. It's a, a cool, you know, it's funny because for me, obviously I'm very much, in the world of music, whether it's, you know, performing or writing or, or, or recording or, or, you know, I also manage our band. So managing and figuring out what the next thing is. So it's nice to have something like that where you're not hanging out, talking about music and you're off, you know, your free time. It was something where I connected with a whole group of people that were great, amazing, interesting people, but it wasn't like, you know, I maybe tell them, Oh yeah, this wild show we had on tour. And then it, the, the conversation didn't go much farther than that. And we went back to just talking about bikes and talking about whatever, whatever that was. And in some ways it's a nice thing to have something that is different than what your vocation is. And I I'm more than aware that obviously my job is definitely one of the cooler jobs you can have, but it, at the same time, it still is something that you do as a job. So to have something that you can kind of get lost on, whether that's, you know, with riding, it's the getting lost on, you know, owning a, a bike that that's old, getting it, keeping it running and then also getting lost on riding and being able to just sort of like zone out and, and clear your head. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing is you not only like the, the old bike, but you actually like to ride as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's also, good. it's a good <laughs> yeah, thing you know, when you spend all the time are, and money. <laughs> but a lot of people are into fixing up bikes and a lot of people like, you know, love the motorcycle, the look of the motorcycle, which is obviously very cool, regardless of, of the, the style, they, they've all got their appeal, but there's also people who like to get out and ride. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And unfortunately it's sometimes, some years it's very hard for me to find that time because summertime is a very busy time for us. And so, you know, we're doing festivals. So I've even found myself trying to slot riding in as much as I can or where I can on the road and have done, you know, some day trips between on days off on, on the road. Or I've, in one case, I, uh, I did like a week long solo trip in Spain where we finished a tour in Madrid and I rented a bike and did a week long solo trip, which was again, like talking about that, it's like after a long 
grueling tour to be able to just be solo on a motorcycle in a country that I've never really spent time in and exploring it all by myself was a pretty amazing way to kind of clear my head and, and, you know, do something that was different than just, you know, going back home and I don't know, <laughs> sitting around waiting for the next thing to do. <laughs> what, what, what did the seven day trip do for you? Did it make you look at, I mean, was that your first long trip or, or longer trip? It was definitely the longest consecutive and it certainly was the most adventurous. I mean, I made no plans and, uh, you know, basically just listened to music and I, I wouldn't even necessarily, I didn't plan. Only thing I said to myself was that, uh, well, I forgot my, <laughs> I forgot my clears. So I couldn't drive, I couldn't ride at night. So I knew that I had to like stop somewhere before the sun went down. Uh, cause of course I went on tour beforehand and I forgot a bunch of different things. But, uh, the other thing was just that I didn't want to stay in any major cities. I wanted to only go to small towns and explore. So I would just set out early in the morning every day once, you know, sun was up, I'd have coffee in Spain. So probably some sort of tapas <laughs> breakfast somewhere. And then I would just kind of ride all day and I'd come to an intersection and I would kind of just be like, not really actually, but sort of flip a coin uh, left or right. And so it was amazing because so much of what I do is very regimented in the sense that like you have to meet at the lobby of the hotel at this time. You have to be at the venue by this time. You have sound check, you have press, you have, you know, show and then after show things or whatever that is. So to have a, a day that was so unstructured that, you know, maybe at times got me in a little bit of trouble because <laughs> I didn't know where I was going to stay. It, it meant that I, I didn't have to think about anything. I literally just was able to be in the moment and that's, that's sometimes a hard thing to do when everything you're doing on you know, work time like that. Um, but at the same time, it was also, it was, it's an incredible trip because I got to experience so many things. I mean, I don't have to tell you, but you know, the thing that's amazing about riding it is sort of just you in this machine and the rest is sort of you experiencing everything differently. I mean, we're talking about smells and, you know, the sights, but also, you know, you're going to stop in different places because, you know, you need to, take a break because you're getting sore or whatever that is. And and you're going to experience those things. You're not just stopping at the gas station because you want to grab McDonald's or something like that because you're out driving somewhere. It's like about stopping and not necessarily the destination you're going, but kind of how you get there. And that, that to me, being that my travel for a living was such an incredible experience. We get people on the show that travel for years at a time and often months and, and, and really long trips. But it's interesting because most people who listen probably don't get out anywhere near that. And even a seven-day trip, that's a lot for somebody to, to block off, a lot of time to block off. I thought you were going to say that you, you actually take a bike with you on tour. <laughs> no, Neil Peart style, yeah. I wish. I mean, <laughs> uh, I feel like if I did that, the other guys in the band would have a lot of other... Uh, things they would prioritize over that. I mean, obviously we're not big enough for that, but I mean, it's, it's cool. There is a network of, you know, various places that you can rent and pretty easily, you know, I've rented in multiple places in, in the U S where I just have an afternoon or a day. So I'm able to go out and, and do some riding. It really depends, but yeah, one day I hope to be able to be at a place where I could bring a bike with me, but it's also nice just to like, you know, hop, you know, call, you know, hop in a, an Uber and go and pick one up and have the afternoon or the day to go and do something and, and do a day trip and be back with the guys later the day or whatever. 
Sure, because there's, there's all kinds of problems with importing your bike. I mean, if you're going country to country, it could be a real pain to, to end up doing that, of course, with everything else. But what do you mean? What, what kind of other things would they prioritize over a motorcycle? I'm, I have trouble <laughs> I getting my head around that. <laughs> yeah, there's limited space. Ah. The last thing you want to do is like be the guy that has that annoying thing. I mean, it's like nothing's <laughs> worse than if you buy something on tour and then you have to listen to everyone like, you know, just giving you a hard time about this thing that's in the way. So no, I mean, I think that, at some point I'd love to be able to do that. Uh, but you know, there's, there's limited space when you have like 10 to 12 people traveling on a bus together, you know, you have limited space of your own anyways. Mm. Do you find that the, the more you ride, the more you go rent bikes in different places, the more of a sort of a, a draw you get to go further, go longer? For sure. I mean, I think that that's for me that, like you said, there's, I, I read stories or talk to people that have gone on much larger trips and I definitely, very rarely have that time to be able to do that, but I have that desire to, I mean, it's funny because when you're on tour, you get to go to all sorts of different places. I mean, places I never imagined that I would ever go. Um, and it gives you this sort of brief glimpse of what that place is. I mean, a really good example is that we played Paris probably five or six times before I ever did anything besides go to the hotel and the venue in Paris. So people would be like, wow, it must be amazing. You get to go to all these places. I'm like, yeah, but for the most part, like I said, it's very regimented because you have a lot of things you have to accomplish and you end up not really seeing much more than what's immediately around you. And so, yeah, I mean, I always say that it's sort of like doing research, uh, towards what, you know, what you'd like to do. And so in the case of the Spain trip, for example, I was like, I'd spent time driving through Spain and thought like, this would be like, how amazing that you can be in the same day. You could do like desert, ocean, twisty roads, mountain roads, and you know, everything in between in like several hours of each other. It's like a pretty oh, incredible, yeah. you know, in a same day, you can do all of those things. Um, so I was, it was just like, I had done the research and I was like, wow, so this will be the place I'll do that. And I think there's probably other places now that I've been since then that I would like to try to do you know, that again. But yeah, I mean, I definitely have a lot of desires, uh, to do more of that, especially like places I haven't been. Um, you know, I almost did a trip starting in Chile down to like the tip of Argentina. I think it's like called like the end of the world run or whatever it is. And, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's one that I almost did. And I ended up having to not, I didn't have, wasn't able to take the full time. So I'd like to do it at a time when I can actually uh, go and do it. But yeah, that's like, to me, it's like, that's the next thing I'd love to do. I mean, that's like a, that's a whole different, you know, a whole different ball game. A whole, whole different <laughs> and, kind of travel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now is that going with a friend that you were going to go or by yourself? Yeah, no. I mean, that one was with a friend. It was a friend of mine who was playing in a, in a band that was going on tour that their tour was finishing in Santiago. So we started kind of talking like, oh man, like maybe we should try to do this. But you know, the challenge with a lot of that stuff, I mean, I find is it's a little cost prohibitive, like motorcycles are, you know, as far as vehicles, not as expensive and, you know, there's different options, but when it comes to renting and doing something like that, it was uh, pretty expensive. Like it was pretty, like, I, I was just kind of like, it's, it's unfortunate because it's like not, uh, super easy, but I have since learned that you can fly motorcycles on air Canada. <laughs> and so, uh, I'm curious to try to do something like that. Like maybe I would just buy one and take it down versus paying someone a bunch of money to rent it. Cause they definitely like, you know, they, they, they play into the fact that I think it's a very, you know, a little bit more of an affluent type person that would, uh, be doing something like, like that. Yeah. And it's one thing to rent it for a week or, or so, but if you're going on a longer trip, yeah, it gets very expensive, but there's other ways. I mean, we had air Canada on the show here. Uh, talking about just that, flying their bikes around. Um, the guy who who runs the program in Air Canada, 
and, and it's it's a great idea. I mean, roll on, roll off. It's fantastic. Uh, but there's also, I mean, you could. There's other ways to get bikes down there. There's there's bike swaps. There's mm-hmm. um, you know loaners that you can you can connect with. But you can also buy a bike. In particular, somebody who's selling it. So maybe somebody's got a license in the U.S. or Canada or something like that, and is down there selling it. So there's there's those options available for you. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this is again, it's like you know a pipe dream. I you know, the, the only time I probably would have had time to do that was this past year. And obviously travel is not a thing that's happening right now. So <laughs> no, I mean, these are, they've been, again, like, like you said, it's like, once you sort of get that, you get that bug and you sort of experience, you know, especially like I, my majority of the riding that I do is solo. And I, I do really like that. I mean, I like the camaraderie of my friends and riding with, with buds and stuff like that. But a lot of the things that I have done have been by myself and I really do like that. So I crave, crave that. I crave that sort of escape where it's just kind of, like you said, you and the bike and you're just kind of alone with your thoughts and just experiences that you're not, you know, spending all your time trying to figure other things out. It's just kind of figure out in the moment. Now we're going to take a short break while I tell you about a couple of things. But after that, um, before I get back to talking with Ryan, actually from the Sheepdogs, I'm going to play just a little bit of one of their new songs that, at least for us, for Elizabeth and myself, have become uh, our 2021 summer song. You know how you do that. You find there's a song that sort of clicks with you and you end up sort of associating it with that year. Well, that's what it's done for us. I think you may do the same. Stay with us. Well, talking about playlists and listening listening to music, uh, enjoying the open road, that's what Atlas Throttle Lock will do for you, help you enjoy the open road. Now, if you've ever tried a throttle lock, maybe you have one, great, because you're going to be no less than blown away when you try the Atlas Throttle Lock. All metal construction, two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage, full positive response when you push those buttons. The feeling is well, simply quality. You can adjust the throttle up or down without disengaging, and it works as kind of as if it was designed for your motorcycle in particular. The company, Atlas Throttle Lock, was founded and is owned and run by two motorcyclists just like you, Heidi and David Winters. The idea came from um, from them having a problem while they were doing a round-the-world trip on their KTM. So you're buying from motorcycle travel enthusiasts. The website is atlasthrottlelock.com. Don't forget to throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Anytime you're talking with them, atlasthrottlelock.com. Revzilla is presenting the all new Get On ADV Fest this July 15 to 18 in the Black Hills of South Dakota. It's set to be a huge event. There's going to be brands like BMW, Kawasaki, Harley Davidson there, all with new bikes for you to ride, including the new Pan America. There's going to be some routes that you can take where you can go ride trails that are nearby. You can watch presentations at the event. So much going on. Tons of vendors showcasing products, selling gear. They even have certified mechanics there to install gear for you. I'm going to tell you how to get your tickets, but but first let me tell you about the venue. The Get On ADV Fest is happening at the Buffalo Chip Campgrounds in Buffalo Chip. It's all happening July 15 to 18 this year, 2021. Now to get your tickets... Go to the Revzilla website, and I'm going to give it to you, revzilla.com forward slash ADV hyphen fest. Again, revzilla.com forward slash ADV hyphen fest. Get on ADV fest is what it's called, revzilla.com forward slash ADV hyphen fest. We have a regular feature on Adventure Rider Radio called Rider Skills, where we learn tips and methods to improve your riding skills. Now, just ask any good mechanic 
And they will tell you there's no substitute for quality tools. And when it comes to riding, one of those tools, or two of those tools, I guess, are your foot pegs. Quality foot pegs don't just look cool. They are designed for a specific use. And that is what IMS products did with their line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. Quality foot pegs like IMS's ADV-1s and ADV-2s give you the added leverage for better maneuvering your motorcycle. Really important when you're in the dirt or in particular when you're loaded and in the dirt. And they have the durability to survive tough environments, which is what we do when we're riding our motorcycles in those environments. And to keep your feet planted where they should be. IMS Products does their research too because they design their foot pegs in ways so that the uh, the geometry of your foot position works for your shifter and brake levers. And these aren't minor considerations. These are the makings of a quality product. IMSproducts.com is their website. Don't forget to throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. a bit of one of the new songs by the Sheepdogs with uh, Ryan that I'm speaking with right now. It's their new single called Keep On Loving You. Back to Ryan. You mentioned the chopper. What other bikes do you have? Uh, I have a 78 CB750 uh, and I have a 1973 Triumph Bonneville 750 as well. Mm. So what is it about those bikes that, that uh, sort of attracts you to them? Well, the CB750 is my first bike uh, and that was sort of like just sort of looking for something that wasn't too expensive that I could learn to ride on. I mean, it's a pretty fast bike to, to start on for sure. I mean, it's a super sport. So I mean, you get your license on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The whole, the whole story of me getting my license is a funny thing because I had to do my road test and, uh, it's very difficult for me to schedule a road test. Cause like I said, the summer I'm traveling all the time. And so, uh, you know, it's really, really difficult for me to eventually get my license. And part of the only reason I got it was because the guy who tested me was a fan of the band. <laughs> I probably shouldn't <laughs> advertise that too much, but uh, it was one of those things where like passing a motorcycle, this is annoying because you're, you know, they're, they're really scrutinizing you. And I, I think it was like, I got stuck in the middle of an intersection because somebody pulled out and, you know, was turning la- or turning uh, left and then pulled out to go straight. And so I ran a red light and he's like, well, he did mm. fail, but give me an autograph and uh, I'll give you your license. Wow. So, <laughs> so it's who you know. That's what it comes down to. It's still like I felt that. so bad, but it was like the, the third time I tried and every single time it was always some sort of happenstance. It wasn't like I was riding dangerously. It would be like a pedestrian walked out in front of me and oh, that's an automatic fail. So it, the guy said, he's like, obviously that was bad timing and you're, you're a good rider. So I'm not going to fail you. But it was hard because it took me a long time to be able to get my full license because of being traveling all the time. But yeah, I got my, uh, I got my license on the CB 750, uh, which was a, it, you know, it's a cool bike. And for me, that was the case with that one was 
just the first thing that I found on Kijiji that I could afford that I thought was cool or whatever. <laughs> uh, and the, the triumph was one that I, I always really liked triumphs. It's a weird one. Cause it's the last year that they, I believe it's the last year that the, the controls are the foot controls are a swap because it's British. Right. And so it's, it's a bit of a weird one because every once in a while you go to break and then you downshift. Yeah, <laughs> so, especially jumping from one bike to the other. If you've got them both. Yeah. Around. Yeah. But that's a fun one. Cause I think that maybe is the, cause it's right at the end of when triumph, like triumph did like their first run. And I think then they sort of went bankrupt and it's one of the only years that the, the Bonneville was a seven fifty, I believe. So it's a, it's like the same body as a, the six fifties, but it's a lot a lot crazier of a ride. What's the triumph like for reliability? Oh, terrible. I mean, it all, <laughs> it's all part of I the don't, ride. I don't own very many reliable bikes, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny because it, yeah, it's, it's definitely, all of my bikes have some guesswork to them. So when I do rent these, you know, newer bikes and go on these trips, it's pretty nice to like, you know, not, I mean, every time you, it's part of the experience, right? It's part of owning these things, but, uh, yeah, all, all, all three of my bikes are not the most reliable. So half the battle is making, keeping them on the road for sure. Some, one day I definitely will buy something that is newer just to have as a, you know, a daily rider. Well, you might take something out of the ride by doing that. I mean, you know, part of the fun, I, I mean, I, cause I ride a newer bike. It's not new, but it's a, it's a 13, 2013, and there was something about the KLR even that, that I had before that. There was something about, it was it was just a little bit more of a tinker bike that, that I really enjoyed. It, it was not that I want my bike to break down. I wish I'd never said that now. But <laughs> but I mean, there's something to that, isn't there? There's something, you know, you, you tinker, you do a little bit of work. I, I pulled the carburetor off my KLR on the side of the road a number of times, you know, because of problems I had with it. So that that's kind of part of the fun, isn't it? I think so. I mean, depending on how fun it is. I mean, I, I sometimes find it less fun because I don't feel like I'm, as mechanically inclined, but I mean, every time one of those things happen, you learn something new about the bike. I mean, it's yeah. that like Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance, yeah, right? It's exactly. like about that, like, you know, and I think that it's like, it is, it's one of those things that it is part of the experience and yeah, being stuck on the side of the road and trying to figure things out, I guess is part of, part of the journey. Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely have enjoyed on some of the things that I've done where they ha I haven't spent part of my trip, try to figure out any sort of issues, but it does sort of seem like inevitably it's not going to, you know, I've never done a trip, I guess, or done anything more than like an afternoon where ha something hasn't arisen, even on new bikes. Cause it's just part of it for sure. You, you've got different toolkits though. I mean, especially for those, they're, they're wildly different. The Triumph and the Honda. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't do much like long trips on it. Those are more like in the city bikes for sure. And I have a pretty good toolkit of stuff, uh, for the, the Harley. Uh, and I'm, you know, and you learn as time goes on sort of the different things you need, but, uh, thankful that, you know, I, I had a few recommendations of things that I should carry with me, but yeah, I don't really, I don't really go much farther than, you know, an hours out of an hours out of the way on, on those two bikes. Cause they just, I would be too scared that I'd break down for sure. Motorcycles, you know, it's, it's that common thread. And I think if you have to, you, you know, I'm sure you've talked to people before and you try and explain it. You probably have people say, why do you ride? Do you find yourself having to explain that to people? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the danger, the danger thing is certainly, but I, I mean, I feel like that's, you know, it really depends on how you ride. I mean, there's more dangerous ways to ride <laughs> than others. And obviously like sure. being aware of what they're riding, but no, I don't think I have to explain it. I think that a lot of places, I think people are kind of like 
it's that thing where people are almost like envious in the sense that they're like, oh, I could never do that. But it's so cool that you went and did that. Or it's so cool that you ride. I wish, you know, and I think that if there's more of that or more so than explaining to somebody why you do it, um, you know, and like you said, people who know, know. And, and uh, yeah, and a lot of people, I'm like, of course, any, anyone can can learn to ride a bike. And, you know, just because you maybe aren't super interested in going on long trips or any of that thing. I mean, it's a personal, I mean, that's the thing that's amazing about a motorcycle is it's literally a personal thing. So, you know, you can kind of do, so that's what I, anytime some people ask you like, Oh, I could never get into that. And I'm like, that's fine. It's, it's, it's your own thing. But no, I wouldn't say I have to explain it. I think a lot of people just are, you know, that are in understand or sort of our rider is, you know, there's a camaraderie that comes along with that. And I do love that about, you know, about that and even just on international trips where you meet other people you know there's a there's a connection there well um it'll be nice i guess when you you get to the point where you can you can take your bike on tour and not have to <laughs> listen to the flack from any, anyone else <laughs> yeah i get my own my own bike what's funny i was having a conversation with um ed from the bare naked ladies recently and he was telling me about how he travels, I mean, everyone's got their thing they do on the road and he travels with a trailer that's outfitted to do work on pinball machines and he buys <laughs> pinball machines on the road and he has a trailer that's all set up and he refurbishes pinball machines while traveling. And yeah, so I would like to get to a point yeah. like him where I could have my own trailer and I could have my own little setup for, you know, and bring a couple bikes and be able to like, at least even on like a, not even an off day, but you know, just a day, just go bomb around a little bit while I could <laughs> like, you yeah. know, that'd be amazing. But yeah, until then I'll definitely appreciate, you know, the opportunities that I, that I have to do it when I can. And, and it does make it special. I mean, it does mean having it all the time would be amazing, but the times when I'm able to sort of fit it in as part of that, it's, it's really great. Cause I mean, half of, half of what I do is desiring that exploration of these new places I get to travel. And I'm very fortunate I get to do that. And so the ability to do that and have it be a special moment in that time when I, you know, sort of make it happen is a cool thing. It's nice to have it be a, uh, a special thing and not just an everyday thing too. Right now though, with things locked down, you must be having lots of time to ride. I would, except my bike's not running right now. Oh. So, <laughs> I know I, this is the whole thing is that of course it timed out that way, but you know, it's still going to be a while before at least in Canada where we're going to be able to. So I'm, I'm waiting on a part and I'm hoping that I'll be able to have it up and running now that it's finally nice out uh, here. And summer's yeah. ticking away. Uh, you, you yeah, get, I you know guys, exactly. Even though it's been locked down, you guys have got a, a new album coming out. You've got a new single out now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was a weird thing. I mean, it's when the lockdown happened, we had so many things on the horizon. We were about to go record a record in Portland. We were going to go on a cross Canada tour with the black keys. Uh, you know, we had, we were at, literally at the Junos, which were taking place in our hometown of Saskatoon when kind of the shutdown all happened. So a lot of those things that we had been planning sort of went away and we had all this time apart because we weren't really allowed to be together in the same room. So when we were finally able to do that, we all got together in Montreal and recorded uh, this six song EP uh, all together in the same room because, you know, we weren't able to, we didn't want to make a record where people are in different places sending parts back and forth. I mean, so much of what we do is about that like interaction, that interplay between two people. And so um, this, this was sort of a result of the pandemic and, and sort of encapsulates us getting back together and being able to like do, be in the same room together and recording some songs when we could. 
before before I let you go here, I, I want to say that I, I love your music, and uh, we've got it on our playlist. Have had it for several years now. So uh, keep up the great work. That's amazing. Well, I, I love that, and like I said, I hope hope maybe somebody finds it uh, complimentary to riding at some point because that's definitely I, I definitely forever have like a you know music to ride motorcycles to playlist on the go. Uh, and I try to add to it as much as possible. So, I mean, very honored to have that be on a playlist uh, that associates with that. Ryan, great to talk. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much. I'll talk to you again sometime. That was Ryan Gullen from the Sheepdogs at his home in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The Sheepdogs are from Saskatchewan, Canada. They've headlined tours across Canada, the U.S., and other parts of the world. Of course, you can find their music everywhere, including being played on the radio. We've got some links in the show notes on AdventureRiderRadio.com, as always. We also have a song list of our favorite songs from the Sheepdogs. If you're interested in checking out what we like, all there in the show notes on the Adventure Rider Radio website. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course to you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this remember drop by our website to check out the show notes for this episode check out the sheepdogs if they're not already on your playlist and we'd love to find out what's on your riding playlist so drop by our Facebook page look for the post about this episode and let us know what your favorites are Also, if you don't mind doing it, or if you're not doing it already, rather, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. We've got Adventure Rider Radio stickers and even an ad-free version of Adventure Rider Radio if you'd like that uh, for supporters. Have a look at adventureriderradio.com and click on support. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey!